Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. In the next few weeks, I want to talk to us about the topic of peace. We have just come out of a crazy uh, kind of election season, and even this weekend, there's more um, uh, lack of peace uh, in the world that's still going on. And the reality is there's going to be a tumultuous season in front of us. And uh, whether it's from COVID, whether it's from politics, whether it's finances and businesses that aren't doing well, um, it, there's, there's a consternation among people and, and a cry for peace. And uh, it's often been said that we, we are all searching after peace, whether it's the person that wants to be left alone and runs away from people, or whether it's the person that wants to run towards people and, and find harmony, um, or even the person that might contemplate taking their own life. They're just searching for peace. And, and wh- when we have a world that's looking for peace in all the wrong places, some people believe that political dominance gives them peace. Some people believe that if you just never speak up, it'll give you peace. And so this word peace, really, um, it's something that transcends all of us and we all have a desire for it. But if it's if it's allowed to just kind of run on our own rails, you're going to find that actually the search for peace in different people's lives brings chaos because my peace might not be your peace and your peace might not be my peace. What I want, and what I think is best may not work with you. And as a result, the search itself for peace can bring chaos. But the scripture talks about peace, and the scripture actually links a different word with peace over and over and over, and that word is holiness. And when we look at the scriptures and we say, well, what is peace? Peace is actually God's sovereignty over everything. Peace is actually God's holiness taking hold. Peace is is not a matter of of just, uh, you know, leave me alone and, and let me be. Peace is actually better than that. Um, the Bible, the biblical word for peace is shalom. And shalom is is a, an equal balance. If you think about a seesaw, and when you were a kid, you probably did this trick to people. I know Sarah did. She's mean. But you would get on the two sides of a seesaw, and once your friend was up on the other side, how many of you ever jumped off the seesaw? Right? Yeah, of course you did it. So, <laughs> so, so that's the thing. Like, but true peace is when that seesaw is is completely balanced in harmony. It's shalom. Nothing is disturbing. And, and so, when we look at what is God's true peace, God's true peace is is holiness. It, it's us being in alignment with God. It's us being in agreement with God. And it is in that, in the middle of that, there is no storm. It's the calm and the middle of the storm. It's Jesus at rest, even though the the ocean around him, the waters around him rages. That's peace. It's being aware and understanding who God is and what he's doing. It's being in his holiness. And these words are linked together. So in Romans chapter three, I want to encourage us to take a look. And there's different types of peace. There's pieces, there's peace with God, there's peace that comes from God. There's the, there, there's the God of peace. There's peace with your neighbor. And we're going to talk about different types of peace. But all true, real peace begins with holiness. It begins with God. And that's where we're going to begin today as we unpack. In, in my search for peace, where do I look? Many of us, we just want to control the world. And what we do is we feed into this idea that I need to be the dominant figure in my own story. 
I need to be the one that pulls the strings. I need to be the one that's in control. That's the peace that I'm after. If everybody would just listen to me, how many of us have thought that, right? The world would be at peace if they'd all just listen to me. And what we're after is I want to be in charge. That's what we want. And when we're all doing that, you don't get peace. But what if everybody looked and said, you know what? God has a plan. God has a story he's writing. God has a narrative. God cares for his kids. And if all of his kids would start to look back at God and his peace and holiness, then maybe we would all be at peace together. So let's take a look at what the scriptures say. In Romans 1 and 2, uh, we, we find that God is holy, we are not, and the law tells us so. Like that's the, If that's the poem, God is holy, we are not, and the law is there to tell you that. And so as we come into Romans 3, we have this question of the law and the people who live and obey the law versus the people that don't. Remember, you're, you're talking about Jews and Gentiles trying to get along. We're talking about the exile of the Jewish people from Rome. We, we talk about all this stuff as we studied Romans um, just the last couple of weeks. But here's what it says. What then? Are we Jews any better off, meaning having the law? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no, no one is righteous. No, not one. If you're jotting your notes or anything, you might want to just star that, mark that. Verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And we would look at that and we'd go, come on, people do good? People do good? What the scripture is calling us to is that our version of good isn't always God's version of good. And a lot of times our version of good is actually for a terrible motive, which makes it bad. So even our good becomes bad in God's eyes. So verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law, comes knowledge of sin. So we, we've got this law brought in. The law is revealing the holiness of God. The law is revealing the unrighteousness of man. And, and basically he's making this argument. He's like, look, the reality is if we would just look at the law, we'd understand that we don't understand holiness. We don't understand what God wants. And as a result, we don't even understand peace itself. Because if we're not understanding God, we're not going to understand where peace comes from. So if you're jotting notes, you write this down. We are called to be holy, but we have broken God's law and we deserve punishment. The very first type of peace that we need to be looking for in life is not peace with in the Middle East or not peace with the Republicans or the Democrats or not peace with my neighbor who doesn't cut his lawn uh, fast enough for my liking. That, that's not the peace that we need to be looking for first. It's not even the peace that we need to be looking forward to our, our spouse and say, hey, I want peace with. That's not even the first peace. 
Before you're able to have a sufficiency of peace in all these other areas of our lives, we're told the scriptures tell us that, you know what? We need to find peace with God. And the law reveals to us the fact that there's so many places where we're out of whack with God's will. And so there's all these places. If you think about holding up the law and looking at your own heart and just, man, man, the more I look at the law, the more I can see where I'm out of tilt with God. And every time that I see that I'm not aligned with God, here I am saying, well, I want peace with my neighbor. How can I have peace with my neighbor when I can't even have peace with my Savior? And so God compels us and says, hey, listen, if you want peace, you want peace inside. You want peace with other people. Peace starts with your creator. But we're called to be holy. Many times we ignore the holiness discussion and and we jump right into how to fix the world. And the reality is we don't have any business trying to articulate how the world should operate until we're operating according to what God wants us to do. Peace. None of us are perfect. We know that. That's why Christ's propitiation is important. It's the central theme of Christianity. Understanding we're not perfect, we must see the world the way that God sees it. And the, re- the word that, that, that we, we need to have is, is in our vocabulary is called sin. Sin is defiance of the creation to the creator. Defiance by the created to the creator. That's sin. Any time my will goes against God's will, that's sin. And we in the church throughout history, we've allowed different factions and groups to pick up which sin at the the moment we need to protest against and which sin we need to raise higher than the other, which sin we need to put the banner out in front. But the reality is any time the creation is going against the creator, it's sinful. And the reason that we like to pick some sins over others to highlight and to, to point to and to get mad about is that the more I can point in your sin and the more I can talk about your sin and what you're doing wrong, the less time I'm putting on myself. And so Christians find comfort oftentimes in pointing out the sins of other people around them because they can say, see, God, I'm on your team. I'm on your team. And in the meantime, what God wants to do is have that person be humble enough to say, no, 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 I, I'm not holy. And there's, there's a part of me that needs work. But man, if I can make a lot of noise and if I can point to somebody that struggles with something I don't struggle with, if if I can do all of that, I feel better because I say, man, at least I'm not him. I mean, have you seen Josh? Right? Like, Like, at least I'm not them. And what happens is we think we're better because we say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't have that problem. Sarah does. But, but so each one of us, Each one of us has to understand that, you know what, God's desire for me to have peace is not first to deal with my neighbor and first to deal with the other person that lives in my house. My my first order of peace is, God, am I right with you today? Sin is defiance of creation to the creator. Now, there's two ways to deal with sin. You've heard me share this before. A good sermon bears repeating but there's two ways people tend to deal with sin they ignore it and they live in denial so they just go yeah what's sin what's sin i don't see any sin and in the meantime like everybody around you smells the sin all over you oh there's no sin 
So we ignore sin or we repent from it and we live in Christ. We don't live in denial, but we live in Christ. And we're not comfortable with the fact that there's sin, we, but we acknowledge it. We go, yeah, there's a stain on my shirt. I definitely see it. And because of this stain in me, I need to live in Christ. But the weird thing is, is that if we're actually living in Christ, then we're not going to have an arrogance and a boastful attitude towards holiness as it relates to other people. We just won't because we're going to understand that we're in need of the same exact salvation as everybody else. Look at what it says in verse 11. No one understands. No one seeks who? God. So what is the cry for understanding? Where am I going to get understanding? Where am I going to get a a, a sense of what is right? What is balance? What is shalom? What is peace? Where do I find this understanding? I seek God. I seek God. I seek His holiness. The scripture talks about in verse 17 and 18, and the way of peace they have not known. We don't know peace. Why? It says in verse 18, there's no fear of God. So we, we want to look at peace and we're just like, hey, I just want things to be calm. I just want things to be good. I just want things to be happy. And the reality is the, the biblical definition of peace is to be found in God, to understand who He is and what He's about, to understand who we are in light of Him, to understand the way He sees the world. How does He see my neighbor? How does He see that that coworker? How does He see the the political environment around me? How does He see the COVID crisis and, and fear of life and death? How does He see things? If I want to understand and get peace, I can't do it through my own strength. I've got to go back and say, God, I I need to know you. I need to know what you're about because it's in you that I'm going to find my rest. It's in you that I'm going to find my hope. It's in your sight in the world, the way you look at the world, where I'm going to find peace. Because when I can understand that you have it all together, even though it looks chaotic to me, it doesn't look that way to you. There's no peace without God. Many people choose to ignore it. Many people choose to live in Christ. And there's this third group, believe it or not. This this third group, they they try a works-based peace. They try to say, hey, I I realize that I'm a sinner, but I'm getting it together. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how well I I do this thing. And so this moralistic civil religion builds up. And and it's confused with Christ. It looks a little closer to Christ because we go, man, they really behave well. They, They really don't do all the bad things that other people do. So, man, they probably got their lives together. But the reality is that without Christ, it's just as dead as if they ignored it and they'd swam in their sin. But many people try to rely on their own moral fiber, their own well-being, their own good works, their own acts of righteousness, which in Isaiah it says it's like waving a, 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 a tampon in the nose of God. And we, we look and we say, man, what are my options? My options are to ignore the fact that I'm a sinner, to try to create my own moralistic religion where I do everything and I'm well behaved and I've got it together. Or I walk this middle road, which says, Lord, I see my sin, but I want to be seen in you. 
I want when the Father of Heaven looks at me, sees Jesus. And I want when the world looks at me, they see a redeemed sinner, a sinner that's been saved by grace. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So where do we see God's righteousness? It's been made known, but it's apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Where is God's righteousness? Where is God's holiness to be found? It's in knowing God and knowing God through Jesus. For there is no distinction. Verse 323, if you've been in church even a little bit, this should have come across your radar. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. How are we made right? We're justified by his grace as a gift. You see, it's different from a moral religion where I do it all and where I build it out and where I earn it. No, no, no. It is a gift. You are the recipient of a gift of God's grace and his favor and his love. It's a gift. You can't earn it. But we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, meaning holding off his anger, his wrath, has passed over former sins. You might look at your life and I might look at my life and say, man, I'm not worthy of redemption. I, I know my sin. Pastor, it's hard. Like, I, I know more bad about me than anybody else does. It's so hard. It is. But it's made worse when we're trying to earn it, when we're trying to reconcile how does God love me and, and maybe I need to behave better so he'll love me more. When we're trying to reconcile all that together, we're, we're losing this part called the gift. The beautiful thing that should cause you to worship is the fact that you can't earn your salvation, but yet God gave it to you anyway. If you have if surrendered your will, surrendered your way, and acknowledged your sin and said, Jesus, when he got up there, that was for me. I am blood bought. I'm purchased by God's good grace. It is a free gift given to me. Then all of a sudden your worldview changes and you go, man, I don't find peace in my moralism. Though I want to understand God and, and walk in his righteousness, I know that I fail. I know that I'm not good enough. I know I'm a screw up. I know if you catch me. You, you, the crazy thing about the world that we live in today with everybody having a phone is that you're bound um, one time or another to, to have a fun moment and get caught on video or say something wrong and get caught on video. And, and imagine inside of our heads, we've had this technology going on the whole time. We have all of these memories about where our hearts stray and about where our, our, our sin gets a hold of us. And we look and we just go, man, it feels like that I just got caught. Uh, and, and man, am I a hypocrite? What's going on? And no, you're not. What you are is a sinner that is in need of God's grace and he's offering you that free gift. Now for the world, for the dying world, we would look at and go, yeah, that's the message that they need. But friends, can I remind us? That's the message that we need. We need to be reminded all the time that, you know what, this whole Christian thing, it's a gift. It's a gift that comes from Jesus. It's a righteousness that's imputed to us through him. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but it is his grace and it is in his grace that shows off his righteousness because He, his forbearance, he held off. If you're jotting notes, write this down. Our peace comes through Jesus, who is our righteousness. 
You want peace? You got to get a hold of holiness. But you're not going to be able to get a hold of holiness in the flesh. The way we grab a hold of holiness is through the righteousness of Jesus. Then we find peace because then we go, hold on. So, so I've got these two competing battles. On one hand, I've got this battle called sin. And this battle called sin, what do I do? I don't want to, but I do it. And you read Romans 7 and, and you see Paul and he's wrestling. He's like, man, the things that I don't want to do, I do. So on one hand, I got this battle with sin. And then in the flesh, on the other hand, I got this battle with like morality, just trying to do right. And so whether I do wrong or whether I work real hard and try to do right, either way, there's a battle there. There's no peace. You go ahead and try to live completely perfect for everybody in your life. How many of you lived a perfect week? Like you got through seven days and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong, didn't sin, didn't make anybody mad, <laughs> right? Most of us can't live seven minutes without making somebody upset. So like we, you understand when you battle moralism, you try to live righteous on your own, you're going to find out, man, that's, a, that's fool's gold. I can't do that. And you look at sin and it's like, man, everywhere I look, sin is enveloping me. I'm always being pulled and tempted. And in the middle of both of these battles stands Jesus. And he's like, you know what? I'm your peace. I'm your peace. Because if you're found in me and you're searching for me and you're enjoying your company with me, then, then the sin and the temptation doesn't pull you because you're, you've got me. Because I'm the thing that occupies your joy and brings you joy and victory in this world. And also, you're not trying to manufacture it on your own. You're not trying to hold a reputation high. You're not trying to make everybody think you're something you're not. You're just this sinner that's saved by the grace of God. And every day you're doing your best to fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again. And on the good days, that, that love is so overwhelming that people around you see it. And on the bad days, it's the, the, the rescue that's been thrown out of the boat. It's the ring that's thrown out of the boat and you got your arm through. And today was a win because I held on to Jesus. You say, Pastor, there's days where I'm nearly drowning. There's days when the water's overflowing. There's days when, can I go ahead and tell you something? When you grab a hold of that life ring and it's anchored to heaven, suddenly in the midst of that drowning, in the midst of that storm, you will have a sense of peace. And it doesn't make sense. How can I be in a storm? How can I feel like I'm drowning and still have peace? Because I'm anchored. I have hope now. And so even in the days when you're just trying to hold on, He's our peace. You see, the scripture reminds us, and many of us, we understand this, but I want to read it again. Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But look at 24, and we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I walked my daughter through the Roman road the other day, and when I was young, I was taught, go to Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, remember back in the beginning of Romans 3, I'm owed death. Death, death is owed to me. I, I bought death with my sin. I paid for it. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then you flip over to Romans 5, 8, and it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is the gift of the gospel. When you combine all these truths, we realize that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness is God's grace through faith in Jesus. By ignoring sin, we find ourselves wrestling with the consequences of sin and we feel distant from God. By trying to be self-righteous, we find ourselves overwhelmed with the weight of the law, which we'll soon understand we cannot keep. But there's one other option to find peace in your life. I call it falling into grace. I, uh, My best friend, as many of you guys know, uh, he had 10 years of um, addiction, struggle with, with alcohol. And uh, I remember just loving on my best friend. When, when your, your best friends, your, your friends come in when the world walks out, right? And we were walking through this season and, and with him being um, on a public stage and having a public platform and being a Christian pastor, and it, it was this, this, this day we were eating lunch and, and uh, he just looked over and he's like, Tolly, but what happens once people find out? And I said, man, you, 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 and this is one of those moments I can't take credit for. Like I studied to prepare. It was just like in that moment, I just felt God whisper to me so I could whisper to him. But I just said, man, today's the day where you've been spending your entire ministry helping other people meet God. But today's the day where you're going to have to fall in the arms of grace. You're just going to have to fall and let go and not be in control. And you're going to get to feel what it's like to be held up by some other person, some other thing, some other force. The arms of grace. Jesus will hold you up. And I said, I truly believe you're not, we're not able to really understand the, the gift of God when we're still trying to do everything in our power. But if we'll fall in the arms of grace and we'll let God's grace show us, then suddenly people can stand up and they can say, hey, Christ has called me to love you well. Christ has called me to not be vindictive. Christ has called me to, to give you encouragement. And you know what? What happened in my friend's case was that over and over and over again, there were amazing decisions made because people were just like, no, we get grace. Like we get it. We get it. We get grace. And what we're going to do is help you see grace too. It is one of the most beautiful things to watch a church do it right and friends do it right and family do it right. And grace upon grace upon grace was lavished out at my friend. But it took, but it took falling into the arms of grace and, and not ignoring it, but not trying to be self-righteous and button it up together. I really believe both types of churches are horrible. I really believe the type of church that never calls out sin and thinks everything is okay, that's terrible for you. I don't think it's godly. But I also think the type of church that makes you feel so clustered to where you can't speak your sin out loud and you can't confess to somebody, you can't tell anybody what you're going through, that kind of church is dead as a morgue. We need to be the type of church, we need to be the type of Christian that practices this theology with our love. And so that means having conversations where you in private tell a person like, hey man, I think God wants more for you than that. But then also having that conversation on the other side to say, but man, I'm ready to show you God's grace. I want to be a part of that. The peace of God comes from the grace of God. It's acknowledging that you've fallen. But instead of trying to fake it and Make it on your own. It's falling into the arms of grace. Verse 27 says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? 
<laughs> then what becomes of our boasting? See, if righteousness comes by God's grace, if righteousness doesn't come by man's merit and what man does on their own, if that's not where righteousness comes from, then, then what comes of our boasting? What happens to the Christians who boast about their, their, their good walk with God, their moralism, their proper way of living, and I do things better? What comes of that? Remember, you had people that were trying to live according to the law and do everything right. And you got even Paul who was like, you know what? I was a Hebrew among Hebrews, man. Like, I I did everything right. If there was a righteous person, it was me. I just got news for you. Like, if we're just ranking believers in God and people who have faith in God and walk in righteousness, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Paul. I was at the top. But then he's like, man, I just realized that that's not what it's about. So what comes of our boasting? It is what? excluded by what kind of law by a law of works no but by a law of faith for we hold that one is justified made right by faith apart from works of the law or is god the god of the jews only is he not the god of the gentiles also yes he's the god of the gentiles also since god is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Is the law gone? No, no, no. On the contrary, we're upholding the law. The law was fulfilled. Everything that man couldn't do, Jesus did. That's why no, there's no one righteous, no, not one, but Jesus. And when Jesus got up, he became the, the spotless lamb that was slain for all of our sin. He was the one that fulfilled the law. And it's in him and understanding and worshiping him, we say, man, you made the law work. Jesus, you made it work out. Now, it doesn't mean we dump the law and we dump all. And we, no, no, no. That is good for us to see where we're broken. That is good for us to see where we fall short. And if anything, the law should compel us not to do uh, greater things and behave more and become moral. That, that's not the goal. If the goal is that you look at the law and you become a moral person, but you miss out on Jesus, you're just as destitute as the person that ignores the law. But what the law should do is say, man, I am so messed up. I can't fulfill it all. But Jesus did fulfill it all. And the peace that I need to have in my life is not about if I'm a good person or a bad person. The peace I need to have in my life is am I a saved person? Am I under God's grace? If you're writing notes, our peace with God overflows to our peace with others. What do we do about our boasting? What do we do about our boasting? There's lots of boasting when people were just looking at the law. Everybody was on a measuring stick. And as much those of you that, that enjoy or maybe not enjoy when I'm uh, in a competitive mode, but playing games with me, man, if you give me a list, it's like, all right, go, cool. I'm going to win. I'm going to find a way to win. And, and so in that day when it was just the law and we're just like, how did God reveal himself? Well, here's the law. People are going around and they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this outfit that I got to wear. You know, you'd only get to wear this outfit if you get to go to certain parts of the temple. Like you, you, you only get to be around these people. Did you know who I know? And so there was a, a, a level of boasting that was pretty consistent among the people. And it was the exact opposite of what God wanted for their hearts. So the goal shouldn't become to become an arrogant Christian. I believe that's an oxymoron. I really do. I believe when you see an arrogant Christian, no matter how moral they appear on the outside, most of the time when I've spent time with them, they're dead as dry bones on the inside. They're just overcompensating by how spiritual they are. The Christians that I've seen that are genuinely walking with God are the same people in private that could tell me 
because they're sensitive to whatever sin that they're struggling with at the moment. They're aware. They're, they're not oblivious and they're just like, hey, I'm living high moral. No, 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 they're aware. They're just like, this is what God is dealing with me in this moment. And the beautiful thing is that I haven't met an older Christian that walks with God that I've ever talked to that just goes, you know, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out, Tali. Like, you're Tali, you're young, you're a young pastor, but man, psh, it's a good thing you're with me because I've got this thing figured out. I've never been in a room with them, guys. I, I've been blessed to be in a room with the who's who of people in Protestant Christianity. And the ones that I look at and I go, man, they, they just give me that vibe that they walk with Jesus. In private, they're the same people that are like, you know what, Tali, can you pray for me? I'm like, I am a nobody. You're a somebody. You want me to pray for you? And I learned so quickly. Yes, that's the exact point. Is that none of this stuff matters. Not trying to impress people and trying to be moral and trying to be better than others. That doesn't matter. What goes from our boasting when it's a gift? It's like Christmas comes up and you're, we're as parents, we, we're going to obviously love our kids and bless them. But you know what would break my heart as a dad? Is that if my kids take the gifts that I've given them and my wife has given them, and then they go out and they put another kid down who didn't have that same opportunity. You know how that would make me look at my own children? I'd be like, guys, I, I, didn't, I didn't give you this to go hurt somebody. I, I wasn't blessing you so that you could make somebody feel less. But in Christianity, I see both sides. I see people that just try to ignore their sin every day and they never talk with God. They never pray. They never repent. And it breaks my heart. But then I see people on the other side that, that they, they say, man, look at how righteous, look at how much I walk with God because of how righteous I am. Look at me. And it's like, man, you miss it too. What comes of our boasting? It's excluded. Romans 10, 8 to 10 says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with one believes and is justified and is with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Peace comes from holiness. But holiness doesn't come from your own moral acts of righteousness. Holiness comes by grace through faith in Jesus. And peace and holiness go together, even though we think that they don't, but they clearly do. And look at what it says in Hebrews. Just write Hebrews 12, 14 in your notes. Just write Hebrews 12, 14. Here's what it says. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everybody. And holiness. You see, a lot of us think that the way that we get along in a secular world is, is we're just peaceful because we're not worried about our holiness. We, we just kind of dump holiness so that we can get along and meet people on, on the level ground of sin. And, and that's not the call either. The call is peace and holiness go together, but my holiness doesn't come from my own self-righteousness. My holiness comes from Jesus. It's imputed upon me. It's given to me by my confession, my repentance. And so Jesus allows me 
access to holiness. But there's no pride in it because, man, I'm, I'm a screwed up sinner that's sanctified by God. And as a result, I can have peace because if I see the sinner, I say, man, sinner needs Jesus. If I see the arrogant one, that person needs Jesus. I need Jesus. And so when you walk around the world and when you're seeing all the turbulent things, we run into the arms of Jesus. And it's in Jesus we find our peace. And when we don't understand and we don't know how the future is going to be, we find peace in Jesus. And when things are going really well and we're a, a little bit concerned we might be arrogant, run back to Jesus. He'll humble you. And when things are going terrible and you feel like you've just been tossed off the boat in the middle of the ocean, grab a hold of the life preserver of Jesus. Because even in the middle of those times, it's amazing, but you find peace. I want to encourage us in these next few weeks, especially as we head into Thanksgiving and Christmas and COVID goes nuts. I want to focus us as a church, as individuals, on having the peace of God and taking that with us everywhere we go. And not just the peace that's oblivious to sin, not the peace that comes from self-righteousness, but the peace that comes from a personal walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your peace. We thank you, God, that in this world of chaos and stress and sin, there's so many things that could take away our peace. But God, we're not trying to just meditate and get into a dull state. What we're trying to do, Lord, is get a hold of you. And for some of us, that means we have to look at ourselves and realize that some of our lack of peace comes from our own sin, our own ambition, our own temptations. And so maybe we need to lay those down at your feet and get a hold of that peace. Others of us, we're trying so hard to be righteous and so hard to hold it all together and so hard to make sure people think that we're perfect. And, and that in and of itself takes away peace. But God, we look at the scripture and we realize that holiness and peace are tied together, but they're tied together in Jesus. And so God, whether we're having a down day, whether we're having a sinful day, whether we're having a day of arrogance and pride, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to Jesus and bring us back to holding on to Jesus to be the source of our peace. And God, where is boasting and all that? It's gone. It doesn't exist. So God, we can walk humbly. We can walk calmly. We can, we can not feel like we have to prove anything to anybody. We can simply walk forward in Jesus. God, may you be the first voice in the morning and the last voice in the evening and fill our day with your peace. Father, call us into repentance when we're wrong. Call us out of pride and immoralism. And God, just call us to a, a, a gracious walk with you. As Adam and Eve before the fall, just living in God's peace. I pray, Father, that that's who we'll be this week and that's what we'll share to other people around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, guys, can we thank God for his...